we have been in a series in Ephesians right there for quite some time. Um, we've actually been in it for most of the year, and uh, we've been studying through it and uh, looking at it verse by verse. And then through the course of this summer, we've actually been uh, looking specifically at a portion of it, chapter 4, verse 8 through 16, what is commonly referred to as the fivefold ministry or the grace gifts of Jesus. And uh, in, a, in a series we actually have been calling uh, Set for Life. And we, we've really been taking some time, and I just kind of want to share with you, um, just kind of from my heart, real briefly before we jump into uh, the work that's in front of us today. Um, this is extremely, I would even use a word here, vitally important uh, for us as a church, I believe, because this is really where we're kind of starting uh, looking at the biblical structure of the church as it pertains to our experience of the church. This isn't so much elders and deacons and, and that side of things, though we do have those. Um, this is looking at the practical functioning elements of a local church. And uh, I hope we're all on the same page when I say that we, we want to be biblical in our approach to that. Uh, we, we're not, just so we're clear, we are not a uh, what's kind of sometimes labeled a progressive church. We, we believe that this is, this is the Bible. God spoke it. We believe it. That's it. I mean, we, we believe in this. We don't, we're not trying to come up with new and exciting ways of, of doing church. Um, it, it's, we were just down yesterday at Unity in the Community, which is a large uh, uh, interfaith kind of event for, uh, for uh, the community. It does a lot of... Uh, practical things. We were giving away bookmarks and school supplies to kids. It was, it was awesome. Big thanks to everyone who came down and helped out with that. Um, but it's interesting as, as you know, I, I talked to people and they want to know like, you know, what, what's, what's your church like? Oh, we, we believe the Bible. <laughs> we love Jesus. Our worship's really loud. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. That was my favorite guy came up. I just have to share this guy came up and he says, uh, that's what he wants to know. He's asking me about the church. He keeps beating around the bush, and finally he gets to the point where he's like, I just want to know what your worship is like. It's like, well, it's very presence-driven. I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to figure out what this guy really is asking because he, he doesn't really know, and I don't really know. And, and he goes, look, I don't want to go to a church with an organ. Do you have an organ? And I was like, no. I said, well, um, I, said, Wait, I believe in authenticity uh, in worship, and so... Um, so for us, we're white guys, so we have guitars and we turn them up real loud. That's authenticity for us. And he's like, cool, yeah, I like that. Awesome. Cool. I mean, we're not, my, my point in all this is we're not trying to find some new fancy way. I don't think there is a new fancy way. I, think, I don't think all the books that are being written right now that say that we need a fancy way are true. <laughs> I think... I think the way God set it up in the beginning is still the way that it needs to be happening today. We open up his word, we study it together, uh, we, we do our best to cry out for his grace to be obedient to it. We worship him, we lift him up, we experience his presence, uh, and we draw near to him as he draws near to us. And so that's just kind of the reality for us, but at the same time, I want to make sure that we have that biblical foundation of how we ought to function together in this thing called the church, because here's the reality. The reality is that this right here is not Sozo Church. We, we have met in buildings all over the place. Our hope and our prayer is that we can be here for a very, very long time, uh, partially because this place is amazing and partially because I'm sick of moving. Um, <laughs> Have you ever been there like in, in like your adult life, right? Like you move a lot, you end up in a house and you're like, I don't love it, 
but I love it enough to leave my stuff here. Um, I just don't want to move it again. And your friends all say amen. Um, But the reality is this place is not, nor will it ever be, Sozo Church. We are Sozo Church. And so before we get into structures of leadership and an organization, it's more important to me that we understand the structure and the organization of how we are to function together. So we've taken, that's why we've taken the whole summer to really dive into just eight verses and really look at them specifically, what, what do, and we'll, we'll go over this again in a minute for those of us who are visiting or just as a refresher for all of us, um, What are the five and how do they function? But it's very, 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 very important to me as the lead pastor and also as the teaching pastor here to make sure we get this. And because of that, and because really, I know it sounds funny, three months is is a very short amount of time to go through something this important. And especially when I only have one day a week for about 35 to 40 minutes to talk about it. So in order to make sure that we've gotten this, what we're going to do, and you may have seen a little teaser go out across social media Uh, September 1st, we're doing something that may seem kind of hip and new and cool, but I'm actually about to tell you is actually one of the oldest ways of doing sermons. It's called a talkback sermon. Um, It's our way of of trying to communicate and make this more than just a one-way, a one-direction thing. For those of you, just real fast, uh, you're kind of wondering, where are all those people? That was our Easter service this year, and that's about half the people that were there. Just want to give Jesus some glory, because we were not smart enough to pull that off. They just all showed up, and I cried. Um... We're going to do uh, this, this on September 1st at our service. We are going to do a talkback uh, service. Let me explain real, real, real briefly what that means and what we mean by that. Um, I'm going to do a very short, um, there's going to be a miracle. You can tell your friends, guaranteed, if they come to church that day, there will be a miracle. It's pretty cool. And the miracle is going to be that I'm going to recap an entire three-month series in 20 minutes. Okay, I thought that would get some excitement, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm fine. It's cool. Um, but uh, we're, I'm going to recap kind of the series, go over it very briefly, and then we're going to open it up for, for you to uh, send in your questions so that we can uh, answer those and really make sure if there was something that you kind of didn't get or something you'd like a little bit more clarity on or, hey, just something weird I said, and you're kind of going, like, what was, what was that all about? So wh- how we're going to do this is the, the morning of, we'll, there'll be instructions on the screen as to how you can uh, text in questions for us. And, uh, and I'll do my best to answer as many of those as I can. But also, we're going to open it up beginning this morning um, for you to send your questions in either through email. Our church's email address is simply curious at sozospokane.org. You can email those questions in. Um, and this is also for all of our podcasters. They can do all this now. We have uh, quite a few, actually, roughly 700 to 1,000 people who podcast our messages every week, and I don't know why. Um, I'm like, really? Cool. Um, but we want to give them a chance as well, kind of our, our uh, global family, you could call it that if you want. Um, so you can email us in, Sozo, or curious at sozospokane.org, or you can do it through Facebook, either just write it on our wall, Spokane, or facebook.com slash sozochurch. Um, write it on the wall, message us, and we'll kind of compile all those and do our best to answer as many of them as we possibly can uh, on, on September 1st during our talkback message. The cool thing I said I was going to tell you this, um, actually talkback sermons are one of the oldest forms of corporate gathering teaching together. Uh, these, they, they were done all the way back um, in the, the 4th and 5th century. They would, they would do messages this way where uh, they would go back and forth. And though it's not kind of culturally what we do normally now, I think it's kind of cool to kind of reach back and grab a hold of something like that, make sure we all get it. So excited? Pumped? It'll be a fun day. It'll be good. And uh, we'll see if, I'm hoping none of you ask, like, my wife's going to be the one shooting them to me. 
And I'm really hoping none of you ask like weird questions like what do the toes of the Antichrist mean or anything like that because that'll just confuse me. So don't ask the question. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's just jump right into this this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, shocker there, verses 8 through 16. Ephesians 4, 8 through 16. Um, we're kind of coming toward the end of this, and we've looked at all five of these. And this morning, I want to kind of uh, really try to take a bigger kind of Goodyear blimp view at this together and see how it all fits together as one continuous piece. So let's hear this together. Ephesians 4, verse 8 says, Therefore, it says, when he, speaking of Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Nothing like an easy goal there. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you that it is living and active, that it is powerful. God, that it cuts through every uh, distraction. It cuts through every argument. It cuts through every uh, thing that might creep into our hearts and make us somehow be pulled away from the centricity of who you are, God, the, the, the place that you long to hold in our lives. I thank you that your word draws us back to that, shows us the way back to that, but not only shows us, but God actually literally empowers us to be at that place with you. And so, God, we come to you this morning and we desperately cry out for you to speak to our hearts. God, to, to speak to us that we might be drawn near to you, God, to speak to us that we might be connected with you again afresh and anew today. God, that we might experience a, a new impouring of your grace into our lives and our hearts, that we might live more fully lives for you. And speak to us today. Let us hear it, receive it, and do it. Let us be doers of your word and not hearers only. Don't let us just come and sit and be entertained or have our, our intellects engaged and not leave here changed. God, I need to leave this place different than I came in, and I know only you can do that for me. So I cry out to you to speak and to change us today by your grace, and we'll be the ones to give you all the glory and all the honor to make much of you in the midst of our transformed lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Amen. All right. Um, so we have looked now at the five, these, these five, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, 
We've looked at them individually, and we've seen their importance in us both individually and corporately. We saw that they were given for the equipping of the saints uh, and the work of the ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. They're there to equip, which literally, that word in the Greek, equip, is a medical term, kartismas. It means to reset that which is broken or to, to, uh, to fix it out of joint or dislocated uh, part of your body. That's what, what uh, these five are doing. They are realigning, readjusting those areas in our lives that are askew, that are causing pain, that are causing a limitation in our abilities because Christ is on mission. Amen? Jesus did not leave earth and disengage, but rather he left earth literally telling us that it was better even for us if he left because the Spirit of God is now working through the children of God to fulfill the mission of Jesus, which is, as we just read here, to fill all things with himself. Not some things, not a few things, not religious things, all things. Christ is working currently through his body, the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, motivated by the gospel and by grace to fill every avenue of creation. We do not buy into a teaching or a theology that says that the world is just going to, or rather the church is just going to uh, get worse and worse and crummier and crummier at its job and then fizzle out, be vacuum sucked out by the rapture and move on. We rather believe that the scripture tells us that we were left here, that we might be the fragrant aroma of God in the earth, filling it with him in all areas. That means, personally, I need Jesus to fill more of my life. That's me. I need him to be more of me and less of me. I want to make the cry of John the Baptist the cry of my heart where he said, he must increase and therefore I must decrease. It's time for us to be less and him to be more. That's why we say every week, come on somebody, say it with me, it's all about Jesus. Okay, it's all about him. Everything. We don't just say that in in the church it's all about him. Everything is all about him. The way I handle my marriage should be all about him. The way I raise my kids should be all about him. The way I handle my finances, the way I handle my time, the way I, 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 I interact with people, what entertains me, what engages me, what I think about, what I study, what I invest in, what I spend time in should all be all about him. But come on, let's be real, I suck at that. Which is why we saw this before verse 11, and he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, shepherds, and teachers... That word and could just as legitimately and often in Scripture, it is legitimately translated so. So recapping here, Jesus comes to earth, leads captives free into freedom. He takes uh, those that are captive, leads them out of captivity into freedom. Amen? That's us. We've been led. If you've experienced the redemptive work of Christ in your life, that's you. You were a captive. You are now free. And he does this in order that the world might be filled with him, that everything might be filled with him. But we suck at that. So what does he do? So he gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to realign those broken places in our life to come alongside of us and and fix, come on somebody, those things that need fixing in our life so that we can be more uh, able as we progress in Christ to be those instruments that he has called us to be in filling the earth with himself. That's an exciting life to me. That, that, that seems like a pretty good deal to me. So he, catch this. He saves you. He does it. He leads you out of captivity. He does it. He gives you a reason to live. He does. And then he provides that which you need to accomplish 
the purpose that he's given you. AKA, it's all about Jesus. He does it all. Why? Because he should get all the glory. So he does it all. It's all about him. Everything, start to finish. So we've been looking at the five specifically so we have an understanding we can more fully engage as they as these that God has equipped and God has called and God has purposed to function in these roles, we've looked at them so that we can more completely embrace their work in our lives so as to not limit their effectiveness in our hearts and experience. Hebrews tells us we shouldn't uh, make the job of those that Christ has placed in our lives to lead us and help us difficult, and I love it. In, In Hebrews it says literally you shouldn't do it because it's of no benefit to yourself. It's like, let's just go for the selfish motive here. If you do that, you're only hurting yourself. Anybody have kids that wanted to touch the burners, or was that just my kids? You're only hurting yourself at this point, kid. So we've seen how the apostles, their job is to place the foundation of our life completely and solely on the rock, the steadfastness of Jesus and the gospel, so that we don't live our lives constantly wondering if I am good enough, smart enough, and if people like me enough for God to want to use me. But rather, I can live my life in the assurance that in Christ, on the cross, the totality of the wrath of God was consumed for me. There is no more wrath in God left for me, his child. Nothing? Okay. Um, God, let me just make it a little God is no longer angry with you, and before, he was pissed with you. Is that clear enough? Before Christ, God in his holiness was very angry with you. There was, there was a righteous wrath toward all of us for the limitation, for the lack of holiness, for the lack of, 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 of perfection in our lives. There was a righteous wrath for the the pain and the damage we've caused to ourselves and for others. There was wrath in God for us on earth. And in Christ, we see the complete wrath of God poured out upon his son, consumed for us, so there's nothing left for us. So now the only nature of God that is left to be shown to us is his loving kindness. And the apostle's job is to make sure that is the foundation of your life. So there's no more of this like, well, I'm gonna see if I can make God think I'm cool. I'm gonna see if I can perform for him well enough. I'm gonna dance and hopefully he'll think that's good enough. Maybe if I give money, then he'll like me and he'll bless my finances. That's not the gospel. Does the scripture call us to open up our hands with what we, what we own, everything, our time, talent, and treasure, and say, God, it's all yours, use however you want? Yes, but do we give so we can somehow earn God's uh, uh, ability to bless me? No, not at all. I love it when my son will be at the grocery store, and I kind of have this rule as a dad, um, because for so long I, I, I worked so many hours outside the home when I'm home and my wife sends me on an errand with very detailed instructions so that I don't forget. Um, <laughs> not kidding. She'll send me to the store and we'll be in the aisle. My son and I always, sorry, I, whenever I go do that, I always take one of my kids with me just because I figure I'm gone enough. I want to kind of hang out with them and spend time with them. And, and so we'll go to the store together. And, and my son does this more than anybody. We'll be in the aisle and there's the crap, right, that they put in the aisle to make your kids want to buy it. And my son will always be like, Dad, can we get, you know, get this, that, or the other? Like, no, but we're not, we're not going to get that. Dad, uh, 
It's bought you some money if you need it. I got some. That's, if that's what's holding this transaction back, Dad, don't worry. Like, we can, I, I got it, man. I, I cover you. You can pay me back later. And I want to smack it because I'm like, who gave you the money? It's my money. You're going to borrow, I'm going to borrow my money from you? No, that's my money. If I want to spend it on whatever I want, give me your money. <laughs> Little punk. Whom I love and adore. He's my only begotten son and whom I'm well pleased. Um, but I kind of think sometimes, just to be honest, that's kind of what we're like. With, I think that's kind of how Jesus sees us. And we're like, hey, Jesus, check this out. There's three numbers before the decimal point. Point that out. It's in the bucket now. Pay me back later. <laughs> it was his money to begin with. No, it's not. I did the job. And who gave you the air to breathe to even live to do the job? And who got you the job? And who gets you the job? And who keeps the job? It's all his anyways, okay? Do we, I mean, we need to understand this. The gospel says Christ has consumed the wrath of God. You now live under the only thing you have to worry in Christ chasing you down is goodness and mercy. That's it. And they're on your trail. Doesn't always seem that way, but they are. Apostles make that the foundation of our life. Can I tell you, I don't know about you, but that's a lifelong journey for me. Believing that. Because here's the thing, I say that with such passion and belief now, but when I walk out of here, I don't believe it anymore. In five minutes, I'll start doubting it. Well, maybe if I do this, then somehow God will love me more. There is no possible way that God could love you more because there's no more wrath left to get in the way of his love. And you had nothing to do with that. Apostles make sure that is the foundation of life. That's what your life is built on. Prophets we then saw come and through a supernatural ability speak purpose, destiny, even giftings into your life. It's kind of amazing. It's the role of a prophet. And then they also hold us accountable to that which they've spoken into our lives. David was, was a shepherd boy and literally goes from being the little red-headed boy, the little ginger who they left out in the field who when the family had a gathering wasn't even good enough to bring in. He goes from being the lowest of the low of his family and simply by walking into a room and one, hear this please, one encounter with the prophet goes from planning on spending the rest of his life as a little emo boy out watching sheep plucking on a harp, least manly instrument ever. Goes from that, one encounter with the prophet, the king of Israel. That's what prophets do when we interact with them. They, they take our life that was on a course and shift it. They speak things into us through word, through declaration, through God speaking to them. They speak into us things that we had no idea were there before. They deposit within us and then call those things out and then call us and hold us accountable. We saw from Genesis. I know I'm going really fast here. Just follow along, please. Try to, I'll try to make this as quick as I can. But we saw in Genesis, God spoke, said, let there be light. He saw the light and said it was good. What we see from that is the fundamental reality of the way God speaks. God says something, God then looks at something, sees it, and then he judges it. So the interactions that you have with prophets are not just for your goosebumps and for you to kind of think, oh, wasn't that cool? Rather, it's to speak something in your life that God will then, through usually prophets, hold you accountable for. There came a point, I mean, God spoke to my wife and I, we've, we've been married for over 14 years now, 
he spoke to us very early on, I'm, I, honestly, within the first year, about starting a church in Spokane. The journey, the path that we were on took 12 years before we were here. But I remember being asked by somebody, they said, why now? An elder from a previous church that I'd served in sat me and I said, why, why now? I mean, you've had this in your heart for a while. Is, you know, is this just, are you unhappy at your current church? Are you just itching to be the, the, the big guy and be the senior pastor? Why now? And I looked him in the eyes, and this is honestly what I told him. I said, because if I don't at this point, I'm sinning. Now is the, if I don't do this, I'm, I'm disobeying. And I was called out, literally, I don't, I don't know if we've shared this before. We were, my wife and I were called out in a very large gathering by a prophet and spoken to. There's something God's called you to do. Now is the season. Before the end of this year, you have to do it. And I literally told this elder, my name is Bob. I said, Bob, if I don't do this, I'm sinning. And I was called out by a prophet in front of people and declared that it now was the season, and I don't want to have to be called out by a prophet and told that I'm sinning. It was exciting to get to be told it was the time. I don't think it's going to be so exciting if I get called out again. Okay, prophets hold us accountable. We then saw that evangelists come, and they're the ones that keep us on mission. Okay, we are not left here to just eat resources. Okay, that's not the purpose of why God sustains us and gives us uh, the ability to exist. And I mean this individually and corporately. Okay? The reason why God leaves us here on this planet is because that him filling all things is, our, is a responsibility and a joy and a privilege that he's left to us. And evangelists are the ones that keep us on point. They get us excited about winning the lost. I was meeting with a friend who is an evangelist, if I've ever met one. Had coffee with him on Thursday, and, and I, we were talking about an, an opportunity we're actually going to give to you all, very exciting opportunity to be used by God in the role of an evangelist and winning the lost and in, in seeing people come to faith. Um, and we were talking about this, and I was telling him I, I wanted to have him come and share the opportunity himself um, and be here when we kind of announce it and kind of have a chance to share it a little bit. And he said, oh, no, you're, you're their pastor. You should do it. You know, I, I don't need to be there. And I said, but you're an evangelist. And he goes, oh, no, 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 I'm not an evangelist. I'm not an evangelist at all. I don't want to be called an evangelist. I, mean, I have to lead like 1,000 or 10,000 people to the Lord before I can be called an evangelist. And I, I backed him up and I actually took my Bible out and opened it up and said, look, this is what an evangelist is. This is what I'm talking about. I told him what I'm about to tell you. An evangelist isn't so much somebody who leads people to the Lord, though that is an experience they have often. They're the people that get us excited, come on somebody, about leading people to the Lord. They impart to us a desire where we didn't have a desire before. I would throw out to you, if you don't have a desire to win people to Christ, to see the grace of Jesus become effective in people's hearts, if you don't have a desire to do that, it's probably because you haven't spent time with evangelists. That's what they do for us. They keep us on mission. They stop us from being simply Christian consumers where all we do is say, feed me, feed me, feed me. It's all about me. It's all about me. If it's all about Jesus, then it's all about his mission. I've said this before. I'll say it again. This is not Burger King. Jesus is king. This is not your way right away. It's his way all the time. <laughs> the same evangelist guy, his name's Tom. He said, uh, how's, your, how's your walk with the Lord? And I said, it goes great as long as I do what he tells me to. <laughs> oh, really? Is that what it's like? Yeah, pretty much. I'm like... Pretty convinced that's the way it's always going to be because it's the way it's always been. Evangelists 
call us to mission. We saw that shepherds care for us, walk with us. They are the physical representation of Jesus in our lives. That's a big role for a shepherd. Some of your translations call that a pastor. Same word. We saw that teachers instruct us, train us in the word of God, making sure that Jesus is seen through all of scripture. So here's what I want to kind of jump into today and very, very, very briefly. I want us to see, so all that happens, we've talked about the equipping, the realignment that happens from all of those things. But here's where I get really excited. Ephesians 12, to equip the saints, catch this, for the work of the ministry. If you need a title, I didn't have time to come up with something clever. So there's, there it is. Oh no, it's not clever, it's just the Bible. <laughs> Sorry. Here's what I want us to understand, and this is kind of, it's all been kind of moving toward here. I need us to see this. We need a fundamental, and I say we in the royal kind of American church sense. We need a realignment of what we call ministry. Because for too many people, and none of you are this way, we think this is ministry, what's happening up here. Well, you're, you're a minister, we're ministries. You do it, we watch it. That's kind of the idea in American church. It's kind of in the prevailing idea. It comes from this kind of old school thought of the pastor is like Moses. He goes up the mountain, he gets the word, he comes down and tells us lowly little people what it is that God said, and then we all go do it. Or, you know, we, we don't even all go do it. We just watch him go do it. That's what we pay you for. You know, like you do ministry, we watch ministry. And the reality is what this just says is those people that God calls in these role, this kind of role of leadership to be examples, to be, to be those placed to show us and ignite within us a passion for these things are there so that we begin to do those things. They equip us, realign us, reset the broken areas so that we can take on the responsibility, the joy, and the privilege of doing those very things that they have modeled for us. You and I are called to do all five of these things. You, please hear me. I do not believe, just my personal theology, if you, are, you don't agree with this, that's fine. We don't need to argue over it or you don't need to find a new church. I don't personally believe that everybody is one of these five. There's kind of a teaching that, that says everybody is a, either an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, or a teacher, and part of your job is to figure out what you are and then only do that. Well, I'm about to show you in Scripture there's no real way that can be true because we're all called to do all of them. Now, some people are gifted fundamentally, primarily in one of these roles to function in, in, in a way to equip others to do it, but we are all called to do all of them. Apostles. Um, apostles build the foundation of God in our lives. They build the, the reality of it. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. It says, for God has not destined us for wrath. That's where you say amen. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to give you another shot, okay? That was just a test. We'll edit this out of the podcast so you all sound awesome. Okay. For God has not destined us for wrath. You guys are amazing. You guys did that the first try. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, therefore, because of that, because of the reality of the gospel, the, the wrath of God has been totally and utterly consumed by Jesus. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Your job is to help other people in this church, in this body, realize that the only foundation they should be building their life on is Jesus. Amen. Your job. Not just the apostles' job. Your job. The apostles are there to show you how to do it. 
I, I remember I, ha- I have a friend, a, kind of a son in the Lord. His name is Josh. And he would, we, we would get together about once every week or two and eat Qdoba in Montana. And we would talk. And he, he got to the point where he was constantly telling me, he's like, yeah, I met with this, this guy who was a leader in our youth ministry. I met with these kids. And, and I feel really guilty. I was like, why do you feel guilty? Because like we're, we're meeting and we're like talking, hanging out. And I'm just like ripping off everything you've told me. I just tell them what you tell me. I was like, that, that's okay. It's kind of my job is to give you stuff to tell them. Oh, okay. And the next week it rolled on. I feel really guilty. <laughs> it's okay. It's, 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 okay. My point is this. An, an apostolic person that's building the, the foundation of Jesus in your life, they're there to show you how to do it and help one another. Because the reality is one or two or three or let's just broaden this, a full-time staff of pastors can't do this for everybody. It's why we need to interact one with another. It's our job to build the foundation of the gospel in one another's lives. Galatians 6, let's look at the prophet. Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That hold each other accountable, that's all of our jobs. We shouldn't get offended. This is what I'm telling you. You shouldn't get offended when somebody else comes to you in this church and says, hey, I see this area of your life. It doesn't seem to be in alignment with the gospel or what God's called you to do. It's not who you are. How can I help you? How can I stand with you? How can I help bear your burden in this area? Let's get together. Let's, let's talk. Let's pray. Let's work through some stuff. Let's find resources and find ways of getting the truth, the reality of the gospel in your heart so that you no longer think that looking at that is the best thing you can do with your time or acting that way is the best way you can do or treating your kids that way is the best way you can treat your kids or being this way to other people. Whatever your habit or hang-up might be, one another is the solution. I've said this before. I'll say it again. The primary conduit of the grace of God to bring freedom in your life is other believers problem with that, it's easy to say, man, it requires confession. It requires coming to one another and saying, um, this area in my life, it's not in alignment with the gospel. It's not right. I'm wrong. Jesus is right. I no longer want to pretend like I think I'm right. That's real. That's reality. Called to do that with one another like prophets. Evangelists. Now, I'm going to I want to be clear on this. There is a big movement right now. The pendulum's kind of swung. Back in the 50s, it was evangelism was done by it, big crusades by guys like Billy Graham. Right? Like they, they lead people to the Lord. We cheer as people get led to the Lord. And then the, the pendulum has swung, in my opinion, uh, more rightly to, yes, there are evangelists like we've talked about, but we all do the work of an evangelist. Paul tells Timothy, who's clearly called to be a shepherd and and a leader in the church to do the work of an evangelist. We're all called to do this. We see in Acts kind of the, there's this theme and thread through Acts as they all begin to share the gospel and share the reality of who Christ is with one another that numbers are added to them daily, right? Well, the pendulum is now swinging still. This is kind of the reality of existence, right? We all are familiar with this kind of analogy of a pendulum swinging. And I'm beginning to read blogs and hear people talking about, well, you know, actually, um, the, the, the pendulum swung and now it's kind of going back and continuing to swing. And, you know, really it is just an evangelist. Stuff. Believers aren't called to evangelism. So I really wanted to find a, a verse that we could look at together so that in your heart that argument could be settled. Because here's the, if, if we go to the Great Commission, which is kind of where my brain first goes, the argument from those people, well, he only spoke that to the 12. That was just to the apostles. Why is it in the Bible? Because it sounds pretty. 
No, it's there for all of us. But I, I wanted us to look at this together. And I would encourage you to kind of look at this passage and really dig into it. I don't have time at all to do it this morning. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul's talking to the church in Corinth here. He's talking to them together. 5.18, and I had to skip over the middle because if I would have read the middle, dude, there's like rabbits everywhere. <laughs> and it would have been, we would have been here till Tuesday. It would have been awesome for me. For, or 2 Corinthians 5.18 and 20 it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I actually read a guy who tried to claim, well, that's just talking about Paul. He gave us, like Paul, the the royal us, the job. Well, if he redeemed, reconciled us and gave us, those are the same us's. Them us's is the same us's, so that's us us's. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's all of our job. If you've been reconciled, you've also been enrolled as ambassador. You are also now ought to be proclaiming the good news of being reconciled to God. I I just have to throw this out. The gospel, please hear me, is more about invitation than condemnation. The gospel is more about invitation than condemnation. We plead with you what? To be reconciled to Christ. That's what we're proclaiming. That's what we're saying. That's what we're shouting from rooftops. It's all of our job. We're all called to do the ministry of an apostle. We're all called to do the ministry of a prophet. We're all called to do the ministry of an evangelist. We're all called to do the ministry of a shepherd. 1 John three sixteen through 18 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. There's the example. Jesus is the shepherd. The shepherd you need in your life is Jesus, not me, not somebody else. The primary shepherd you need in your life is Jesus. Now, if Jesus is the shepherd in your life, he will give physical representations to you of shepherds to shepherd you for him. Jiving on that? We're all called to be this. We're going to see this here. Jesus lays down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I have to do this real fast because I haven't done it in a while, and I want to make sure we're biblical. There's kind of a movement, there's even translations of the Bible now that would take that and say, for the brothers and sisters. The problem is, sisters isn't in the scripture, which just simply means girls can't be saved. <laughs> okay, thank you. I was really afraid. I'm thanking you two reasons, that you laughed and that you didn't hit me. Um, <laughs> now, the reality here is this, and I, I would rather be biblical than cultural. Uh, anytime we can be cultural, I'm all about it. But when we have to be biblical, we have to be biblical. This is an area I think we need to stay firm on. You are all sons of God. Male or female, the scripture calls you a son of God. The reason for that is simple. In, in biblical culture, in Hebrew biblical culture, only sons get an inheritance. So if you are a son of God, that means you get an inheritance even if you're a woman. Now, if you feel like that's sexist, let me just point something else out. The scripture also calls all of us the bride of Christ. So ladies, your sons... Gentlemen, we're brides. Let me assure you, ladies, it is far easier for you to be a son than it is for me to be a bride, okay? It's way less awkward, I promise you that. The thought of me walking down the aisle in a white dress to Jesus is just weird, okay? Um, but I want to understand that. We, that's, that's the biblical perspective. That's the tension. That's the balance that we have in him. So here we see that we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in 
truth. We are all called to be the representation of Jesus in the life of the believers that God calls us to do life with. We're all called to shepherd one another. I could say a lot more. I'm not going to. I don't have the time. Uh, teachers. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay, that's the first part. That means it's your job to study the Bible for yourself. Okay, why? So that you can be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, thanks, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We're all called to be teaching and instructing and showing one another Jesus in the scriptures. It's all of our job. Now, if it's your job to teach, that means it's your job to study, not just for yourself. Do you get this? This is amazing to me. When God's speaking to you, that means what he's speaking to you isn't just for you. That's kind of exciting. That's kind of cool. That's kind of amazing. That means when, when you open up the Bible, it's not just for you. It's not just the things he's saying to you, even if you never get up and do this ever in your life. He's saying things to you, instructing you, teaching you, uh, encouraging you so that you have something to give somebody else. God doesn't just bless you for you. He blesses you for others in all areas. I'm not even talking about money. I'm talking about in all areas. He teaches you so that you can teach others. It's all of our job to build the foundation. It's all of our job to, to speak life and hold one another accountable. It's all of our job to, to call each other to mission and to go out and to win the lost, to, to spread the, the gospel to all corners of the earth. It's all of our job to love one another and lay our lives down for one another. It's all of our job to teach one another. And here's the thing I want us to get this morning. This is where I was going. This is the whole the whole thing was moving toward this. I want you to stop and imagine a church where this is happening all the time. Not just from up here, not just on Sunday mornings, but a church where as we gather together, as we spend time with one another, as we do do life together, as that's our corporate experience, the gospel is the center and the foundation of our relationships with one another. Where we, where we come to one another and where we, where, we, where we come alongside and bear one another's burdens, not in a condemnation, judgment kind of way, but in a, I want to put my shoulder to what you're putting your shoulder to. Imagine a place where, where we are constantly seeing the lost one, not by condemning them, but by inviting them into the same amazing experience of Jesus that we've had and we can tell them that they can have it. Imagine that kind of a place Imagine inviting those people to a place where they're going to be loved and those who are, are in that place are going to lay down their life for them, not because of what they think they can get from them, but just because Jesus did it for me and I'm excited to get to be like him. Where we're taught and instructed by one another, where we don't just try to win arguments. Please, can we not be a church where we, when we open up the scriptures together, all we want to do is prove that we're right and you're wrong, I'm smart and you're dumb. Let me just point out something real fast. This is so anti-job security. The guy who's teaching our kids ministry right now has six more years of college than I do. Currently going to Whitworth, getting his master's? Master's degree in theology. I dropped out of high school. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. <laughs> It's about loving one another and instructing one another and sharing from what God has spoken to me and you and sharing it with one another. That's what it's about. 
Um, can you imagine that kind of church? I don't know about you, but I, I, I would go to that church. I would spend time there. I wouldn't leave there. I'd bury my life there. I'd give my life for that kind of a place. Totally obligatory. You can totally see it coming, ending. That's the kind of church we're trying to build. That's why this is so important. That's why we spend a whole summer going over this. Because to me, this is what Jesus had in mind when he laid down his life, not just for you individually, but for us corporately. This is what Jesus has in mind when he says church. And I would love it personally, selfishly, if when people hear Sozo, this is what they think of. I want to, frankly, I just want to go to that church. I don't even care if I, have, I get to preach. I don't really care. That's what we're building. And here's, here's where we'll land. Here's where we'll end. We are desperate and completely and utterly without hope if Jesus doesn't do this. Because as we've said, it's all about him and we suck at this. I, I don't want in any way for what you're hearing this morning to, to come across as try harder, do more. What I want us to hear is that this is what the grace of Christ is trying to build in this place. Let's not fight it, let's get along with it. So I want us to come together and corporately begin to cry out for the Lord to do this work in this place.